Al Jazeera podcast. What are the military risks of an Israeli ground offensive in Gaza? The Israeli army says it's ready for the next stage of its war on the Strip, and it's amassing hundreds of thousands of troops. But what does Israel stand to gain from an incursion into Gaza? I'm James Bays, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our panel of experts to discuss this further. In Beirut, we have Elias Hanna, a retired Lebanese military general. In Brussels, it's Elijah Magnier, a military analyst who's covered conflicts in the Middle East for more than 30 years. And in the US state of Delaware, Lawrence Korb, a retired US Navy captain and former Assistant Secretary of Defence. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. I'm going to start with you, Lawrence. We've got very clear, I think, Israeli signalling now that this is going to happen soon. The Prime Minister has said the next stage is coming. The military have put out a statement, the Israeli military, that there's going to be a coordinated attack from air, land and sea. Um, let me ask you, you've, you've been involved in military planning at the highest levels in the Pentagon. What do you think they're thinking about in terms of the timing? There are some reports that they were planning to do it at the weekend, but it's been delayed because of cloudy uh, conditions and they need to be able to see things from their air cover. Well, I think they were good for them from a military point of view to delay, because given the internal problems that you've had in Israel ever since uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu took over, the military wasn't in the normal shape. In fact, people weren't even showing up for reserve duty because of their concern what Netanyahu was doing. It also gives the United States, with Secretary Blinken and Secretary Austin, to go around the region to get the other countries in the region <clears throat> to work with us and the Israelis after this military operation is over to make sure that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't happen again. The real question is, what, how long will it take? How much damage will it do? And when will the Israelis uh, stop it? What will be the role of Egypt? Will they allow uh, the hostages and some of the, um, the people from Gaza to come in so that we uh, minimize civilian casualties? OK, Elijah, of course, the thing we don't know is exactly what the Israelis are planning to do. We don't know the end game here. We don't think it's going to be another limited incursion. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has gone on record every Hamas member is a dead man. What do you think they are probably planning on this occasion? Thank you for having me. First of all, I think that the question of whether it's just an excuse we've seen in 2006 when Israel decided to attack Lebanon, it took them two weeks to organize themselves and call upon the reservists, and they were very hesitant to walk into Lebanon, and they were not successful in achieving their objectives. Here we're talking about reservists that are coming from all over the places. We're talking about 300,000 that are divided on two different fronts, plus the reserve under the command of the general commander, uh, in case one front needs more than the other. Because, in my opinion, there is going to be definitely a second front, and we will see that in the next 24, 72 hours. Thirdly, the Israelis are walking into a trap, and they know it. The Israelis are very good in their air force. They can destroy. We've seen what they have done in Gaza. 
they can level the city, but they cannot guarantee a success of the infantry. At the end of the day, it is not that air force they're going to occupy street by street. Fighting in urban city is not a promenade, is something extremely challenging even to the Israeli armies. We've seen the consequences in 2014, and we understand that the Israelis will receive a heavily damage on all their soldiers. And again, I repeat, if other fronts are not starting, and I think that will be visible very soon. Elias, Elijah there mentioned 2014. Israel lost 67 soldiers then. Um, tell us, in your view, how the two sides stack up in terms of their, their military forces. Clearly, Israel has huge numbers involved. They've called up 360,000 reservists. How do you see the two military forces that, that, that potentially are going to face each other? Uh, the balance of power is in Israel's favor. However, the characteristic of this war is totally different from 2006 and 2014. If you are planning to go into Gaza for an urban warfare, I mean, you have to really define what is the end goal, what is the goal, at what time you feel that you have really achieved your goal. Um, Netanyahu is so maximalist, he wants to destroy all of uh, Hamas. Would he be able to really destroy all of Hamas? So I think that there is three dynamics that is really playing in this game. First, the political dynamics, the military dynamics, the readiness of this uh, 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 IDF army, Israeli army. Are they ready, really? Do they have all means in order to go into Gaza? What would be the plan? I mean, the operational plan. Would they go and cut and compartmentalize, you know, this, dissect Gaza into sectors? What would be after? At what time they think that it is, you know, uh, uh, they have achieved their goal? Moreover, you are talking, we have to uh, take into consideration the regional uh, uh, aspect, the regional dynamics, what would happen at the Lebanese front, which is, you know, so it's uh, becoming hotter and hotter. And then after all of that, the, the, the global dynamics, which is really led by the United States of America, it's like uh, protecting this operation to a certain degree, you know, that I think that the Americans have decided at what degree they will stop the war in order to really open up for diplomacy at that time. Moreover, the Herculean uh, uh, problem or Herculean task for the Israeli uh, army is to go into something not really aware of. They don't have the situational awareness. In an urban warfare, the ratio is totally different from defense and offense usually between two regular armies, one defender against three uh, uh, attackers. In this kind of uh, uh, urban area, uh, maybe you have to have one overton. Would Israel be able and accept such kind of casualties? Lawrence, let me ask you about that, about, the, about Gaza as it stands now, which will become potentially the battlefield if we have this ground um, intervention. You have potentially snipers' nests, booby traps, minefields, IEDs, suicide bombers. Um, one military person I saw say that, that parts of Gaza now look like Stalingrad and Hamas have all sorts of capabilities, some we might not know about. For example, drones quadcopters capable of drop, dropping bombs, all those sort of things. I mean, um, if you were a military planner, you'd be very wary, wouldn't you, right now? Well, no doubt about it, because, as my colleagues have mentioned, 
urban warfare as opposed to air and sea, you're going to have more casualties. I have no doubt that Hamas is putting its uh, forces in uh, civilian areas, including hospitals. And so you, even if you try and limit the damage, which I think the Israelis will, you can't do it uh, completely. And the real question becomes, if you have all of these civilian casualties, what is the reaction from the United States and uh, Israel's other allies around, around the world? And yes, that's going to be difficult because traditionally the Israelis have suffered very few casualties going back all the way to the Yom Kippur War. So I think this is going to also be a struggle, uh, you know, for the uh, for the for the government there. Fortunately, they have a unity government, so that should enable them to keep going. But I do think they better be prepared to take a lot of casualties. And the world needs to be prepared for a lot of civilian casualties because uh, Hamas is going to embed themselves with the, the normal people in hospitals and apartment houses and uh, stores. So picking up on what Lawrence said, Elijah, do you think Hamas potentially have the psychological advantage here? Israeli troops perhaps cautious after what happened on October the 7th. They saw Hamas's tactics, they saw their planning, they saw their capabilities. And, of course, in that attack, Israel lost a lot of... It proved that Israel's intelligence wasn't good, but they also lost a lot of their sensors and cameras around Gaza. Well, let us look at the goal of this objective, the objective of this operation. First of all, it is not to deter Hamas, because it is a completely different objective. Because of this war, because of the seismic shift in the Israeli public confidence in their military, there is a huge uncertainty for the people of Israel. This is why the Israelis are going into this war with a very low spirit, only to impose deterrence again and to give trust to the population that they have lost and questioning the effectiveness of their armed forces. So starting, we have Hamas with a very high spirit in comparison to the Israeli army with a very low spirit to go into uh, Gaza. Secondly, and most importantly, we have seen every time Israel waged war on Hamas, Hamas became stronger. Is it exactly the same thing when Israel waged war on Hezbollah and Hezbollah became such a strong non-state actor that today the Israelis need the support of the Americans to keep it on the side? And it's not going to stay on the side. So we see the Israelis, instead of deter Hamas and destroy Hamas, on every war, Hamas becoming stronger. Hamas doesn't need to hide behind the civilians because the Israelis already are taking care of killing the civilians. We have 8,800 wounded, most of them civilians. We have 2,800 killed, most of them civilians. So the Israelis are pretty good in targeting civilians and killing them because they are fighting and bombing using a quarter of a nuclear bomb on the city in only five to six days. Nobody can use such a firepower but the Israelis. And if they have confidence, why they need to level the whole city where they want to go in? It's because they are afraid. 
So starting before the beginning of the operation, they are losing it. Elias, um, you just heard Elijah there talking about the firepower that's been used. Um, 6,000 bombs in six days. We haven't had an update from the Israelis since then, but that's more than the US dropped on the Syrian city of Raqqa during the siege, which lasted months, and it's more than the US used in Afghanistan in an, in an entire year. Yeah, 7,000, 7,800. Uh, no, I mean, um, you have to, I mean, let me tell you something. Israel is in big dilemma, big problem. Uh, Israel is fighting non-state actors. In 19, in 2006, uh, the United States of America wanted the greater Middle East, a new Middle East, and then they gave the green light for Israel to attack uh, Hezbollah for 33 days. They didn't lose, but there is the formula that Hezbollah had, has won because it didn't lose, and Israel lost because it didn't win. Uh, Israel cannot really repeat what's happening today with Hamas, because after the, the, the flood of Al-Aqsa and this spectacular low-tech versus high-tech, Israel cannot really lose against Hamas. It's an imperative to destroy Hamas. And here comes the big dilemma. Why? Because uh, uh, Israel prepares itself for different kind of warfare, never fought in cities. I remember, I do remember in 1982, when they invaded Lebanon, they encircled Tyre and then uh, go straight to Sidon, and encircled Sidon and then went uh, directly to, to Beirut. And when they tried to, uh, to enter Beirut, they have failed. So, I mean, uh, fighting in cities is so difficult, according to, you know, Sun Tzu, as he said. So the dilemma of, uh, of Israel, what would be the end game? Is it to destroy or minimize or, you know, uh, uh, degrade the capability of Hamas? So they have to do something. Otherwise, I mean, it will be uh, definitively uh, um, taken, you know, would, nobody in the region, I mean, would take Israel as deterrent power, as great power, militarily speaking. Uh, if you imagine, I mean, if you go and, you know, uh, rebuild the scenario, uh, of a flood of Alexa. I mean, it's low tech, high tech, surprise, uh, speed, it's a blitzkrieg. And I think that Hamas had really planned for different scenarios. If they had succeeded with the flood of uh, Al Aqsa, what would happen? I, I think they, 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 they were prepared, they were preparing for, or they had prepared for all scenarios possible, including one of invasion from the Israelis into the Gaza. Lawrence, uh, let me bring in another factor, and it's more than a factor because it's very human, and that's the captives that are being held by Hamas right now in Gaza. Does that make, do you think, this operation much more difficult for the Israelis? And, of course, we're talking about 100 or so people, but they're not all Israelis. Some of them are foreign nationals. There are US citizens, French citizens, UK citizens. Some of, um, some of Israel's close allies have a stake in all of this. Well, that certainly does make it more difficult. If well, The real question is, well, do the Israelis have the intelligence to know where those hostages are compared to try and undermine the military capability of Hamas? And I assume that Hamas is spreading them out all throughout the region 
so that no matter where the Israelis go to try and eliminate Hamas and their military capability, they're going to be endangering hostages. There's no doubt about the fact they will do that. And that, of course, will have an impact on opinion around the world, including in the, uh, in the, in the United States. So that makes this very difficult. Is Israel has the capability to do it. The real question is, are they prepared to pay the cost both in terms of lives and in their uh, uh, the perception of them around the world. Certainly, Elijah, it looks right now as though Israel has the gloves off. We've talked about the number of bombs that have been dropped. This time around, they're not doing what they used to call the roof knocks, a low-intensity strike as a warning. They're just warning entire areas. And we're hearing, and I'll quote this because it's from the New York Times, apparently for the ground offensive, uh, they're going to have new military rules of engagement. Uh, they've been loosened to allow soldiers to make fewer checks before shooting at suspected enemies. This is going to lead to a massive death toll, is it not? Obviously, because they also have the Hannibal Directive, where they can kill their own soldiers if they are in captivity and if they are uh, found uh, taken away by the militant. So they prefer to negotiate later on over the body rather than a soldier that is alive. However, I would like to say something. We've seen Netanyahu in power for the last 15 years, and we still have uh, Jalad Chalit in uh, captivity, and he did not negotiate for his release. So negotiating at the end of the day for 100-plus uh, um, uh, soldiers, officers, or civilians, he knows that he had to release all the Palestinian soldiers, uh, all the Palestinian prisoners, if the Hamas and the Jihad have 10 or have 200. So the number is becoming relative at the end of the day. And for having these uh, hostages or these prisoners killed during the battle is not going to affect a lot the Americans and all the other nationals and nationalities, because already the approval of the American for a ground offensive is taking into account the death or the killing of their national. I think Hamas and the Jihad prefer to have them alive because it's always have, we have seen in the negotiation of hostages between the Palestinian and the Lebanese and the Israelis, it's always better to have a hostage that is alive rather than dead. Nevertheless, with this war, I think the Israelis are going to have a rule of engagement where there is no mercy because we've seen how the Air Force is behaving with the civilians and with Gaza. Therefore, I don't think the Israeli army, that in terms of peace, is behaving heavily with a very heavy hand on the Palestinian civilians, is going to have mercy on anything that is moving, particularly when the level of tension is extremely high among the Israelis that for some birds migrating from one country to another, they raise the alarm all over Israel, and they are in really high tension, and they have shot against each other when they were trying to repair electricity or group that are not coordinating, because there is a high tension. So when they're going to walk in the city of 1.3 million in the north, and one million in the south, they're going to go for the smaller area and the narrower area that is in the north. 
and they're going to walk in the city where they know under every debris there is a trap. I've seen that in the Kalamun battle in Syria because this is where I was present. And I've seen how sniper put themselves really at the bottom of the building, not on the top, and they managed to kill many of the fighters trying to occupy the city. So there is a large experience today we're talking about among the Hamas fighters and militants in the city where they have gained so much experience in previous wars and they know how to fight in urban city, but the Israelis don't. And we've seen them in 2006 in the, in the South Lebanon, how they really were forced to withdraw under the hit of the guerrilla warfare that are not, they are not used to. On the contrary, the Israeli special forces know how to, have, uh, to fight this kind of war. But Israel has enough special forces to push in Hamas, uh, in uh, Gaza? Of course not. OK. Um, Elias, um, if we look already, and we've only had a, a week of this bombardment, the death toll of Palestinian civilians is now more than 2014. And that war lasted for 50 days. I've seen one analyst saying the civilian death toll could equal the battle against ISIL and Mosul, where there's estimated to be 9,000 to 11,000 dead. How worried are you about a vast civilian casualty rate here? I am uh, deeply worried because uh, for Israel to achieve its goal, they have to go inside. Going inside, they have to bombard. I mean, especially the city of Gaza where they have like 750,000 people. And according to the Israeli sources, they say that most of the ground, underground the tunnels, where the uh, Hamas's uh, commanders and leaders are really uh, uh, hiding in, uh, uh, b b below the Shifa hospital. So, I mean, in order to really calculate or define the victory or the theory of victory, when you do stop, and saying, I did, I do really achieve my goals. If Hamas say no, because you have left nothing to Hamas to say, because you are going as in the World War II, unconditional surrender. We're talking about surrender. Now we are talking about destroying all of Hamas. How can you really destroy all of Hamas that is really spreading all over uh, 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 Gaza? And you are trying to change the population, the density of population, and we do remember in the urban warfare, there is three elements that play really in the uh, output of any war in, in, in the city. Uh, uh, demography, topography, and geography. And the cities, they do have the special geography and topography. They change, they change the, the, the landscape, the building, they change the landscape, they make it different. Maybe, maybe, we can say on a city, it is like the urban warfare is the most, the best equalizer between the balance of power. It doesn't okay. matter if I, you well, let me just Let power. me just bring in Lawrence at the end, because I, we, we've seen now, I think, Western countries were fully behind Israel, beginning to be a bit of a, a splintering, some really calling very strongly for restraint. What do you think could be a break on the Israelis if we do have mass civilian casualties? Is it really only US public opinion and the White House in the end? Well, I think whatever side the White House is will be the key. These other nations and international organizations are already coming out against the casualties that have been caused just by the bombing. So the real question is, what role will the United States play? 
I assume that Secretary Blinken going around now to the other countries in the region is working with them to come up with some way to deal with this situation, which is inevitable. Once they send in ground forces, as my colleagues have mentioned, there's going to be an awful lot of casualties, a lot of innocent people. Israel says their objective is to completely eliminate Hamas, not just their capability, to eliminate them completely. That is a very, very difficult goal for them to achieve in a reasonable amount of time and with a reasonable amount of deaths, both to the civilians and to the Israeli forces. Thank you, Lawrence, and thank you to our panel for their military and political analysis today, Elias Hanna, Elijah Magnier and Lawrence Korb. This episode was produced by Mohamed Al-Aishi, Fintan Monohan, Fungi and Nguyen, Gemma Harris and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Dragan Vrankovic. The programme was edited by Alex Kohler, Zena Bada and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thanks for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next episode. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.